We're in this series called The Quest, and we're, the primary focus in this is to align our lives with God. That is the primary focus. Um, we've been intentional to use this first month of the year uh, to set the tone for the year. And so there's a progression um, in our series. And so if you missed last week's uh, teaching, um, I, I would encourage you to listen to it. Um, last week, we asked the question, what if? What if we committed ourselves to intentional and disciplined spiritual training? Or what if we embraced the idea of becoming great followers of Christ? Um, so that was the what if. Today we're answering, or at least focusing on the question, why me? Why me? Uh, why would God choose to use me? Well, here's the short answer. Uh, God's choice to partner with us is rooted in His sovereignty. Um, God's choice to partner with us aligns with His plans. And that's what we're told in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, where it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as believers, we are a product of God's creativity. Just look at someone next to you and tell them, you are a product of God's creativity. Yes, you are a product of God's creativity. Uh, there is an intentional design by God, and we're called to live a life characterized by um, that intention. We call that intention aligning ourselves with the purpose of God. But here's the thing. Uh, there's often a mystery about what God desires to do with his creation, with us, his creation. So although there's this creative design and this untapped potential that's within us, we're on a journey of discovery. Um, so God's purpose for our lives is revealed gradually as we seek Him, study His Word, and walk in obedience. And so it's this process of continuous revelation and understanding. Uh, this is the humbling aspect of our relationship with Him because we must constantly seek God, constantly seek God. So for today, I'm going to use um, Gideon's story as the backdrop of our conversation. You guys ever heard of them, Gideon? Yeah. Yes. Not just the little Bibles that we get, but, you know, also the, the character. Now, who is Gideon? Well, there were, were 12 major judges in Israel. As you can see, start with Othniel. And Gideon is the fifth judge. Um, he's, he's the judge after uh, Deborah. And so, with Gideon... The name means one who cuts the pieces or mighty warrior. But for the purpose of uh, this teaching, we'll use the latter, mighty warrior. We won't use the cut the pieces today, right? But his name reflects the transformation he experiences from being um, this hesitant, uncertain individual um, who is chosen by God to deliver the Israelites. So Gideon is an ordinary man, 
and he's facing difficulties, and with these difficulties, he finds himself having an identity crisis. Yeah. You guys ever experienced that before? Yeah. Identity crisis? Yeah, yeah yes, yes. Oh, that was a bold yes, <laughs> yes. But Gideon, um, he's struggling with self-doubt, but then he's being told by an angel that he is stronger and has a special purpose to help his people. So Gideon characterizes the reality for many of us. Uh, there is this constant struggle to see ourselves beyond where we are. Uh, things haven't gone according to plan, right? And everything becomes the marker for what's to come. So if you've had a bad experience at a certain restaurant, you never want to go again. Because you're thinking, that restaurant just doesn't work. The food's good, it's not good, don't ever go back. One experience. Or maybe something happened, you know, that you, didn't that you didn't like on your, you know, maybe it's a birthday or a holiday. And so now as that day approaches, you're thinking about what might happen on that day. Because of that one experience, right? So we're facing disappointments and sometimes we're even emotionally broken by those close to us. Uh, these are intense and complex challenges. And at times the complexity of our lives, uh, it, it breaks us to the point where we've even lost our identity. Who am I now? I know who I used to be, and I know what I wanted to become, but who am I now? Searching for answers to fix a broken self. What have I experienced that has caused me to lose my identity? And despite these doubts in our lives, God desires to reshape our understanding of ourselves. And so the Bible emphasizes uh, the idea that God is intimately involved in the process of shaping and molding us. Um, the imagery of God as a potter and humans as clay is this powerful metaphor in the Bible, Isaiah 64 verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are potter, and all we are the work of your hand. Now, if you, depending on what Bible you use, you'll notice that there are some words that are italicized. So, for example, it says you are, R is italicized because there's this identity, you are our father, and then you would see we are the clay, and all we are of the work of your hand. So there's this claim there, this identity. So this metaphor highlights God's role as the one who molds us and shapes individuals according to his purpose. So the prophet Isaiah uses the imagery to convey the idea of God's sovereignty in shaping his people. And then in Romans 12 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul, he speaks about being Transformed by what? Being transformed by renewing our minds, right? And this renewal involves a shift in perspective. It consists of an awareness of our true identity in the eyes of God. So God actively engages in the process of helping us to discover the strength, purpose, and the potential within us because that's our identity. 
Now, when I see you, I don't know if I'm seeing the true potential. But regardless of the how you see yourself, there is still untapped potential inside of you. All of us have this untapped potential. Uh, this process is not only for forgiveness and redemption, but it's an ongoing transformation into the image of Christ to reflect God's desire for our lives. Now, let's read some of Gideon's story to find the connection to our lives. Judges 6, verses 11 through 16. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now here's the context of what we just read. A Gideon is in a difficult situation. He's hiding, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, if you don't care about agriculture or care about anything cultural, you would miss, you know, the story altogether. Because there's a cultural significance. A wine press is really an unusual place for threshing wheat, because a wine press is designed for crushing grapes to extract the juice for winemaking. Now here's an image of a typical wine press. So what would happen is they would stand up top, and you can see the basin, that little hole that's going down. So all the juice would just go down to that pit and they would extract that juice and then they ferment it to make the wine. Rather interesting, huh? Have you seen those commercials where those guys have those water boots just standing and just crushing stuff? And I'm like, someone's gonna actually drink that? Anyway. But that's what it would look like, the, the old uh, wine press. But since Gideon was hiding, archaeologists believe he wouldn't be in the, low, in the top part, but he'd actually be in the lower level, which looks something like this. Rather disgusting, isn't it? As you can see, it's not very easy to get into that pit. And so, if he's threshing wheat, threshing wheat, on the other hand, it involves separating the grain from the husk. There's an image, as you can see here. And what would happen is they would actually beat that on the ground. And as they're beating it, the wind will take away the chaff, those, the lighter parts of it, and the grains would fall to the ground, the heavy parts of it. 
So they can see if Gideon is trying to um, get these husks. Being in this wine press would be rather difficult. It's not conducive to what he's trying to accomplish because the natural separation would be to be in an open space, taking that and beat it on the ground, the wind carry away the lighter elements, the grains fall to the ground, they can take it. If, if he's in this wine press, there's no way he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So Gideon's choice to, uh, to thresh wheat in a wine press suggests the challenging circumstances he and the Israelites are facing. Um, so there's this secrecy and discretion. So they were obviously under the oppression of the Midianites. So Gideon is trying to protect his food supply. And so now he's in this pit trying to you know, get these grains. So while Gideon is working, while he's in this pit, an angel calls him a mighty man of valor. I mean, it doesn't make much sense, right? Like, how can he be this mighty man of valor if he's in this pit hiding? So Gideon responds with doubts and questions. He, he wonders why bad things are happening if God is supposed to be with them. So he feels God has abandoned them in their troubles. So I think about even with um, my wife, and we spoke about it briefly last week. Now, I don't believe that God has abandoned me. So let's make that clear. But the end of November, we had all these great plans for the new year and thinking about stuff in our personal lives and for the church, and we had our sons together, and we said, okay, here's what we're going to do, planning with all these different things, and December 23rd is when she first went into the emergency room, right? And so, like, okay, two days before Christmas, okay. And then after that, January 2nd, back again, emergency room. That's not how you plan to start the year, right? And so, home again, three days later, back in the emergency room. Like Gideon, my current situation doesn't look like the future that I envisioned. And that could also be the case for many of you. Having your life mapped out, planned a certain way, and then it doesn't look the way you expect. And then to make things worse, in, in my in the situation, the doctor says, hey, Mr. Harvey, your wife is a medical mystery. Well, that's not what we envisioned for this new year. And, and so maybe you have situations like this. That's Gideon in this place of uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen. And then God sends a messenger. It could be your best friend in your situation, a stranger, or even a sermon like this, where God is calling you and he gives you a promise in a situation that looks completely opposite from where or from what you had envisioned. So the angel responds by telling Gideon, God has a special mission for you. He wants you to save the people from what they've been experiencing. I can imagine Gideon saying, I'm in this pit, hiding from the Midianites, 
trying to preserve my food, and you're telling me that God is calling me to save the people. Uh, yeah, you're joking. I got questions. Gideon feels inadequate, and he questions, why me? I'm from a seemingly unimportant family. Why would God choose me? Uh, this is where many of us find ourselves. We're navigating the experiences of 2023, facing the unknown of 2024, but we're trying to balance our emotions right now. Don't know what the future holds. Just getting out of last year. But I have emotions right now to, to navigate. Hear me carefully. Your future is at the mercy of the decisions you make today. Your future is at the mercy of the decisions you make today. As we're left with navigating our doubts, maybe tears in your eyes, while trying to discern the voice of God in our chaos, Gideon does something God requires for all of us to do. Acknowledge our weakness. Judges 6.15, so he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Not only is his family weak, he's saying, I am even the weakest within the family. Gideon's response to the angel reveals an awareness of his inadequacy. Why would God choose me? It's as though we're saying, doesn't God know my insecurities? Doesn't God know, you know that, 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 I can, that my, I'm broken emotionally? Doesn't he know that I've been broken emotionally and spiritually? How can I see myself beyond where I am today? Gideon's doubt echoes the universal human struggle, the struggle with uncertainty. Uh, the Bible shows instances where great leaders despite their faith, wrestled with moments of doubt. And, and Gideon's hesitation reminds us that it is permissible and even natural to question and seek confirmation in our weakness with God, in our walk with God, I should say. So when we face adversity, we don't break or fall apart, but learn to appreciate the adversity in your life. Now you look at me like, learn to appreciate adversity. Let me use this example to explain what I mean. Um, um, in music, or in, I should say even the music school, when I was in music school, I took a class called Music Appreciation. You guys ever taken that class before? I see you smile like, yeah, I took that class. <laughs> but music appreciation refers to the understanding, knowledge, and assessment of music. It involves how we listen to music and recognize music styles and even the historical context. Now, one of the things my professor would do in this class would often uh, play a tune, and the students had to identify the genre, sometimes the composer, and even the era. Like, what year was this um, written? So, for example, I'm going to have the team play two different genres of music. I'm going to cue them one by one. 
I'm going to have us just to listen to the music, and then I'm going to ask you to identify the genre. So don't, don't call it out before it's played. Wait till, till I ask you what genre. Are we, are we, are we good? Yeah? Okay, let's play the first one. genre is this one? Jazz. Jazz music was originated in the early 20th century and it includes the improvisation piano. I love jazz music and it also has this syncopated rhythm and, you, and, and so if you listen to like the older ones whether it's with Miles Davis or Ella Fitzgerald or Louis Armstrong you have all the brass and stuff comes together and it gives this nice rich sound. Let's, let's play another one. What genre is that one? Huh? It is funk. <laughs> Funk music emerged in the late 1960s and it incorporates elements of soul, jazz, and even R&B. And it has, of course, the distinct bass line. So usually when you have these groups, they'll sometimes say, give me a bass line. You start a bass line, and then the drum comes in, they just keep adding different elements, which is why you heard the bass line started with nice groovy bass line. You're like, okay. So the drummer would probably sing on the drums and, he, and he's hearing the bass going, he's like, okay, I hear you, all right, all right. And just add that, and that's literally what happens, right? You just keep adding as you go along. And then once the drums come in, maybe you get some Rhodes or some piano, and you get like a horn section, like, pan in that, you know, just, it's some really good stuff. I, I love funk too, you know, you know, just good music. But notice when we played each music, I didn't ask you, whether or not you like it, right? I played the music and I asked you to listen and tell the genre. You can find ways to appreciate or recognize the genre without even knowing how to play it. That's what it means to appreciate something. You try to understand or recognize it. It's not about personal preferences, but understanding the elements that make each piece unique. When we are introduced to Gideon, he's experiencing adversity. And the adversity Gideon faces is primarily attributed to the oppression of the Midianites. So the Midianites, they were nomadic people who, like locusts, would invade the land of Israel and they caused this widespread destruction and hardship. So this oppressive situation persisted for seven years, and it's created this significant burden on Israelites. Now, I'm sure that Gideon wasn't enjoying the adversity, but he understood what was happening, which is why he was in the pit. He understood. He understood that if they caught him in the open, they would take his food. 
So he appreciated the adversity, understood what's taking place, and then he went down. All of us can point to things that we consider to be adversity in our lives. Transitioning from one year to the next, challenges at our jobs, families, school. And the only way to move forward in our future is to appreciate where we've been. Understanding where we've been. Not liking it, understanding it. Because an appreciation says, I'm going to ensure that I understand every single moment of it. So when I think back about 2023, I'm not searching for just the good moments. I'm scrolling through from January all the way through December and saying, what took place in this season? What can I understand from last year so that way I can live this year differently? As crazy as it might sound, 1 Peter 1 verse 7 tells us that adversity refines in us a faith that is much more precious than gold. Adversity trains us for God's glory. And sometimes we feel frustrated, defeated, and confused because we expect faith to eliminate adversity. You think because we have faith, then faith is going to make everything all right, right? But if you are in a difficult situation, you can expect God to teach, shape, and equip you for something greater than your adversity. So when you appreciate and understand the adversity in your life, one of the ways to align yourself with God is to accept your identity in Christ. Accept your identity in Christ. In other words, accept what God says about your identity. Accept who he says you are. So God calls Gideon a mighty warrior. Now, this proclamation is unique because Gideon was not a mighty warrior at the time when God calls him such. So we are aligning ourselves with what God says because things that we desire to do in this year might not look like it look right now. We can't see right now, and our circumstances might suggest it won't happen. This is why Gideon acknowledges his weakness. Judges 6.15, I am the least in my father's house. When we look at our lives, it's easy for us to magnify our failures. We identify all the things that cause us to live in this broken state. But God declares who and what we are by his power. We're not defined by what we've done or even our present situation. God sees beyond our faults, failures, and limits. And so God prophesies over Gideon a new identity. Judges 6 and verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And sometimes that's what we want, right? When we're experiencing challenges, having someone to prophesy something good over our lives is saying, hey, God is going to get you out of this. And that's what took place with Gideon. It's in this place hiding, and someone says, you are mighty. In other words, you don't have to live in hiding. You can get out of where you are right now. That's how we should be as believers. When we see one another is falling, look and say, hey, you're better than where you are right now. You don't have to stay there. A helping hand. 
And Gideon is, is, is this minor warrior because God says so. So regardless of what his family says, or even the tribes, or even what the enemy says, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. I know you're saying that I'm the least, but no, you're mighty. And when adversity challenges our faith, we must remember our identity in Christ. And sometimes we need to be reminded of who we are. I'm here to remind you, 2 Corinthians 5.21, you are the righteousness of God. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life, you are the righteousness of God. Now, as we reflect on Gideon's initial encounter with the angel of the Lord, we witness a man chosen by God despite his doubts and insecurities. Gideon is still wrestling with this uncertainty, but we find something different in verses 36 to 40 of the same passage. Look at what's happening right now. It says, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. This transition marks this decisive moment in Gideon's story. We find this vulnerability between him and God. Like Gideon, we often find ourselves facing decisions that carry a level of uncertainty. Gideon's desire for confirmation reflects our own desire for assurance from God. We seek signs, clarity, or even confirmation when we're navigating complex situations. That's what we're doing in this month. We're trying to align ourselves with God. But in doing so, there is this need for confirmation. And the need for confirmation is intrinsic. But we must approach God with humility and openness. And we're recognizing his sovereignty. So it doesn't matter how many questions we have. God patiently accommodates those questions. So Gideon repeatedly asked for signs. If God is patient with us, and we have to ask ourselves, in what ways can we cultivate patience in our spiritual journey? See, nothing is wrong with asking God questions. You know, we often say or believe that, well, God says so, and that said, yes, whatever God says is true, but it doesn't mean you can't ask God questions. Why? You know, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, when, when a, a child asks a question, you said, because I said so. He, then Gideon just, you know, he, he said, God, I, I, I hear you. Uh, can you do this? And God responded and did this. And for many of us, you know, we'd be like, oh, God spoke to me. Thank God. And Gideon's like, hey, uh, don't be angry, but uh, let me speak just one more time. Uh, and, and, he, and he even said, let me test, I pray. Just once more. Can you imagine 
with him being in this pit. And he's saying, I'm going to leave this here. And when I come tomorrow morning, if it's salt, then it's you. And have a whole a bowl of dew from this fleece. I mean, to me, that would have been enough. I mean, if it's, just, if it's slightly damped, probably, oh, God responded, slightly damped. But he ring this thing and get a bowl of dew out of it. And he's not satisfied. He's like, okay, good. Hey, uh, can, can you do the reverse? I mean, the audacity, right? I mean, first, first it's dry this sweat, and you're now saying, hey, okay, good. Can you do the reverse? Can I just test you? And God patiently did it anyway. As, as we're looking at this month, we're saying, how can we align ourselves with God? It's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to say, God, I believe you will do this in my life, but can you give me a sign? And when you get the sign, you can say, <laughs> um, God, see, this is what I like. You know, every once in a while, I will ask God questions, and I remind him of his word. So I'll say, hey, God, um, remember how you respond to Gideon? And Gideon asked you another question. You gave me a sign, but can you give me another one? Just like you did for Gideon, maybe not like that sign, but can you give me another sign? Because God's word is true. So maybe you can say, if, you, if God, if you do this, then I know it's you. When he does it, hey, God, remember how Gideon asked for two signs? Can you give me another sign? I just want to confirm, you know, that it's really you. It's okay to do that. Because some of us don't really accept things for the first time. I mean, how many of you guys need, like, a confirmation? Sometimes twice, three times to even be sure it's really God. Anyone like that? Yeah, I see some hands. Because you want to be sure. But we're seeing that it's okay to be sure and to ask God to confirm these things in your lives. It's really okay. So by asking God these questions, we see that God was patient with Gideon. And just as God is patient, you can do the same with your lives. It's saying, you know what? I don't see the answer today for what I'm praying for, but I trust God will do it. I'm going to be patient, and when he responds, it's okay, I'll wait. So we find ourselves sometimes in these situations, and it's okay to ask questions and be patient with that. Because Gideon's desire for confirmation reflects our desire for assurance from God, because we want these signs to be sure. And so... In preparing for the remainder of this year, we might set goals and seek confirmation that our plans are in alignment with God. God, in his infinite patience, honors Gideon's request, not once, but twice. And so, and that's what we see in, in, in verses 39 to 40. And what we're learning in this is that God accommodates Gideon's doubts revealing his understanding nature. God is understanding. There are some seasons where one sign might be good enough. But when you've experienced challenges in your lives, sometimes you need two signs. If it's really, really bad, you need three signs. And if it's extremely bad, you might need four signs. And that's life. It's okay. God is understanding. Because he understands our circumstances, even when the friends around us don't. And so he's patient. 
and is responding over and over. Because God knows that the next time around, one sign might be good enough. Maybe the next time around, you don't even need a sign. You're just going to trust God and say, hey, because God says so, I'm good. God knows where we are. And so our fleeced moments may not involve literal wool, but might reflect our human desire for certainty during life's challenges. Um, consider times when you've sought God's guidance and reflect how he responded. Reflect on those moments. Perhaps not with visible signs, but with a gentle assurance that he is with you. The story of Gideon's fleece teaches us the importance of trust in God's guidance. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Faith is not the absence of doubt, but the courage to trust God despite our doubts. It's in those moments when, we're, when we have the doubts where we can still find courage to God, I'm in a moment of doubt right now, but I still trust you. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Courage to trust God despite your doubts. Can you still trust God even when you're in doubt? We don't know if he's going to respond. But being able to look at the situation and it doesn't look good, and I'm saying, I don't know where it is, but I'm going to try to find the last bit of faith within me to trust God one more time. God understands our need for assurance, but he invites us to grow in our relationship with him. Our plans and resolutions may not always unfold as expected, but the journey is an opportunity to grow in our faith. Praying for something in January, thinking we're going to get the answer the next month. It's February. Still don't see the answer. But we're, our, we're growing in our relationship with God. So as we're growing, we're still praying and trusting, oh, it's not February. Maybe it's in March. Still don't see it in March. Oh, I'm going to keep going down. And you're going and you're still praying, you're still praying. And it's August. Still don't see it. And just when your faith grows weary, it's now maybe December 30th. The year is about to be over. And the thing I've been praying for in January isn't coming through. And all of a sudden, God shows up. But think about how your faith or your spiritual life grew that year. Because every day you kept praying and praying and praying and believing. And before you know it, it's no longer about what you received, but the fact that you had the courage to keep on praying and believing when the answer wasn't apparent. That's what God wants for our lives. As the worship team comes forward and we prepare for a communion, I have two questions that I want us to reflect on. The first is this. How can we actively seek reassurance from God? What do we need to do to seek reassurance from God? Do we need to pray more? Do we need to read our word more? Do we need to have good friends in our lives? How can we actively seek reassurance from God? The second question is, how can we appreciate the adversities in our lives and see them as an opportunity for spiritual growth? It's easy for us to say, 
man, God, I just needed to just remove this thing. But how can we see it as an opportunity for spiritual growth in our lives? If you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, as you can see, in Gideon's story, which I didn't mention, is that Gideon was actually in a backslidden stage because Israel had forgotten about God. And there he is in this backslidden stage, hiding, not realizing who he is in, in, or who he's supposed to be in Christ. But the end of the story shows that Gideon did in fact become this man who led Israel out from where they were. In fact, if you read the remainder of the story, you'll find that he actually used less people than was required because his faith was more about what God can do and not in his own strength. So I'm, I'm here to say that God can do the same in our lives. If you're not a Christian, you can place your faith in him, and Christ will help us walk this journey along. But for all of us, even as we're going through this year, I know that there are answers that we'd like God to give to us. So there are many questions. And you may not see the answer right away. But we continue to trust God, believing in Him that He will do above all that we can ask or think. Let me ask this before we do communion. Do you guys have things that you're praying for for this year? Is there something that you're, that you're praying about? Yes. And so what I'm going to do just before we take communion, because I want to, you know, I know you guys are already standing holding something in your hand. But I really want us to take a moment just to, to pray about these things in our own lives first. Then I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we're just forever grateful for your love, your peace, God. And Lord, as we start this year, uh, many of us have questions, seeking answers, God. And Lord God, we know that you're a God who answers prayer, God. But God, I pray, God, that in this season, that our prayers will align with your will for our lives. I pray, God, for the one who doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that you'll help them to trust you as Lord of their lives, give their hearts over to you, and serve you, God, the beauty of holiness. I pray, God, for those who might be seeking answers, whether it's health, uh, whether it's jobs, whether it's relational, so many questions, God, I would trust to you, the God that will do just like you did with, with Gideon. You found Gideon at a place where he felt helpless, at a place where he didn't know if you would deliver. But you sent an angel of the Lord to remind him, call him, mighty man of valor. So I pray, God, in our situation, that you will send reassurance that you are with us even in our season of doubt. So just as Al Gideon might say, why me? We might have those questions for ourselves. Why me? 
we trust God that you know best. So I pray that you'll move in and through our lives even now, God. Let your will be done in and through us. We give you praise in all things. In Jesus' name.